BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here with me today. Yes, we have another wonderful show in store for you today. Um, And actually, it's an episode on a topic that I haven't really spoken about. I think in like the 10 years of over 10 years of doing the show, I don't think I've really uh, touched upon this topic. And we will get to that when I introduce my guest in just a moment. But first, of course, how can we start off without our quotes of the day? Of course, I know you've all been waiting for the quotes of the day. So let's get going with our quotes from Mike Dooley in the universe and from Abraham. Let's see what they have in store for us today. First from the universe, rainbows and butterflies, cattails and dandelions, waterfalls and rainforests, puppy dogs and dragonflies, seafoam and orcas, sunshine and comets, snowflakes and icicles, wildflowers, and you. Did I think of everything or what? Crazy, sexy, cool, the universe. Ah, We love our quotes from Mike Dooley and the universe. Uh, Having a little fun with us today, as always, uh, naming off some uh, fun kind of things that we'll find throughout this universe, which includes each of us. And it includes each of us because we are all important in this world. We all add our unique brilliance, our our own energy, our, our own light that we contribute to the world. And even when we feel like we're not really contributing much, even when we feel like, oh my God, you know, I'm 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 depressed, I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm 
fearful, I'm whatever it is that I'm experiencing in the moment. And I think like, oh, the world would be better off without me. No, that's never the case. Everything, 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 everything in this universe is here on purpose for a reason. And we all contribute something. Even those aspects of the universe you think, I really would rather that wasn't around. I really rather that person wasn't here. I really wish that like this wasn't going on. It's all here for a reason. We may not be able to see in our limited perspective. We may be not be able to know what it is in this moment. But there is always a reason when we take the bigger, grander view of things. We cannot see it. We have a very limited perspective. I mean, we're here on this planet for such a minute speck of time compared to the overall timeline of time and space. Um, So really with such a short uh, time that we're here consciously, it's really hard to, to see that. However, the universe sees all. Source sees all. God, if you want to use the term God, whatever uh, word you want to use, whatever language you want to use, it's all here for a reason. We are here for a reason. You have something to contribute to this world. Does not matter how rich or poor. Does not matter whether you're famous or no one knows you. Does not matter whether you think you have anything to contribute Because you're here, that means you do. You absolutely 100% do have something to contribute to this world. All right. Great quote from the universe. Let's see what Abraham has in store for us today. So you could be on a high flying disc that feels like love and appreciation, or you could be on a low flying disc that feels like ornery. And if you're wondering what disc you're on, just notice the people around you. If they are honorary, that's the disc you're on. And if they are on your disc, that is your point of attraction. Abraham. Okay, getting back kind of a little bit to basics here with Abraham. And when they're talking about a, a, a flying disc, they're talking about the vortex. They're talking about, you know, the energy that we spin out into the world. And if you want to know sort of where you are energetically, where you are emotionally, where you are in in terms of what you're putting out into this world, just look around you. Look around at who you're attracting, what you're attracting, what's coming to you, what's not coming to you. And it's all right there. We usually aren't very willing to see it But if we really take a step back and look at what is coming into and out of our lives, that tells us immediately and clearly where we are standing. So if we're now, there's usually a little buffer, a little delay in things happening. But if we're, as Abraham likes to say, tuned in, turned on, uh, tuned in, tapped in and turned on and we're feeling great and we're joyful and energetic and grateful for everything in our life. We're going to attract people who are energetic and joyful and fun and amazing in our lives. 
And if we're kind of sad and sullen and low energy, that's the kind of people we're going to attract into our lives. We're going to attract more situations to make us feel that way because that's what we're giving off. And the universe responds to what we're giving off. Now, this is a co-creative process. It's always completely about us all the time. However, the choices we make and the energy with which we show up and in life really determine a lot, a lot, 99% of what we're experiencing. We're experiencing because of our choices and because of the energy that we're putting out. So if you ever wonder, oh, am I in alignment or am I not in alignment? Am, am, am I really feeling good or am I just fooling myself? Look around. What are you experiencing? Now, it could be that you're experiencing something that's very neutral. And by experiencing something very neutral, it really gives you an opportunity to really just see how you're feeling. And if there's nothing much going on, there's nobody coming into your life, there's nobody exiting, and you're wondering, like, where am I in this? You know, it could just be an opportunity for you to reflect and feel and choose where do you want to go? Because we often forget that we have so much power in our lives by what we choose to focus on. Now, look, if we've experienced some big loss, if we've experienced some trauma, if we've experienced something that uh, has, has kind of pulled us down in a way, then, of course, we want to honor our feelings. We want to honor our emotions where we are in the moment and allow them to breathe through us. Yet it's really up to us to then decide, okay, I am feeling this. What am I going to do with it? Do I want to just continue to focus on the loss and what I don't have? Or do I want to shift that and remember the good times and remember what I do have in my life? And merely by making that decision and changing our focus, shifting what we're choosing to look at, we can totally shift around our energy. We can totally shift around how we're feeling and the thoughts we're thinking and the emotions that we're feeling. Now, I'm not saying we should not honor our emotions. I'm not saying that we should not be present to what's going on inside of us. Of course, we cannot help but to do that. Yet, there can be an overindulgence into feeling sad or upset. There can be an, an over-focus on, oh, this awful thing happened, so I'm just going to feel awful for the rest of the day. And so it's really a balance between where is it do we want to go and where are we today? And what is that journey? And I think we're, that journey, we're going to be talking about that a little bit, that journey that we want to go on. So we never stay completely still. We're always in motion. And the question is just, where do we want to lean? What direction do we want to move into? 
And when we decide on that direction, when we decide on where we want to go, we can honor where we are and we can move in that direction. So two wonderful, amazing, beautiful quotes of the day from Mike Dooley in the universe and from Abraham. And I have a sneaking suspicion rather apropos for our guest today. And so now it is my uh, pleasure to introduce to you retired professor of children's and and young adult literature and literacy education and award-winning children's author, Dr. Anthony Manna. Through his many experiences and through his passion as an award-winning educator of 50 years, wow, this guy's been at it a while, uh, Dr. Manna has inspired kids and teens around the world to become confident, skilled, and happily motivated readers and writers. He has taught in schools and universities in Turkey, Greece, Albania, and the United States, where where he immersed kids, teens, and young adults in powerful, multicultural books and entertaining action-packed activities to help them enjoy the discoveries about themselves and others that great books and their own writing can encourage them to explore. Dr. Manna's newest release, Lucas and the Game of Chance, here it is, hope you all can see it, oops, uh, is a reimagined Greek folktale and it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Manna to the show today. How are you doing today, Dr. Manna? Um, fine, thanks so much. What a great introduction. Thank you. And also your introduction before the in- introducing me is a spiritual journey. Thank you so much for enlightening <laughs> I mean, it really uh, was a great introduction. Thank you so much. Oh, you're, you're quite welcome, Dr. Man. I'm really pleased to have you on today to talk about sort of nurturing children's spirituality. And it's really, you know, I tend to talk more uh, to adults, about adults. That's really primarily my focus. I, unfortunately, do not have any children. Um, so this really isn't a topic that I've had the opportunity to touch upon uh, on my show, and I've been doing the show over 10 years now, so I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to delve into the subject um, that I've not really explored before. So we only have a, a couple of minutes before our, our first break, so I just want to ask you, um, did you know from the time like you were a little kid that you wanted to be an educator, a teacher, that you wanted to focus on literature? How did that that desire kind of cultivate within you? Um, I kind of fell into it, actually. I mean, if I could go back a few steps, I started my career in a monastery. Um, And I mean, actually, I started it in a seminary, uh, studying to be a Catholic priest. And then I moved over and I wanted to get deeper into it because it was such a spiritual reawakening for me. And so Mm -hmm. I went to a monastery. It was a farm in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lived in community, which was absolutely fabulous. Um, mm-hmm. And I started uh, to grow because I had been a very poor student. And um, what these priests and monks taught me was to think, mm-hmm. um, to concentrate, uh, to grow spiritually. And, um, and I needed that for a while and they, they got me thinking and I took my first writing course there, uh, because in addition to our practices of learning, I guess I could say of learning how to be a priest or a monk, <laughs> there was also, there were also academics, you know, and so uh, I 
I was majoring in biology at that point, and they would bring people in to us to teach us classes. And uh, we studied, I studied ancient Greek. I studied Latin, you know, all those wonderful things that kept my mind. And I started growing up, you know, and uh, when I took my first writing course, it was from a, I never, I never had that kind of um, intensity where he, he taught us how to craft Mm. and um, was extremely critical. Now I must step back a little bit again too, because my father was a journalist uh, in New Jersey. Uh, Okay. uh, He was a sports journalist and he was also a a boxing referee and a boxing trainer in Manhattan. Uh, You know, and so he knew Joe Lewis and he knew uh, Uh, Jack Dempsey and he, you know, that that whole world he, and every week I could hear him clicking that type, those typewriter keys because he had a weekly column called ring highlights. (laughs) And so when I look back now, I I think that was an inspiration to me because Mm -hmm. I watched someone go through the process of finding his lead. And my mother used to say that in Italian and English, He's trying to find his lead. Uh-huh. And it was like a celebration when he got that, when he, when he actually had that paper in his hand and was going to deliver it. And then what we all had was Briar's ice cream. Because oh, was- <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> it, was, it was expensive. And so we can only have it at certain times. And there was, and that was the. the gotcha. So, I mean, it led me on that path to go back to your original question. It led me on that path to thinking about writing. Uh, and thinking about academics um and then you know as okay you know, let's i'll tell you what let's hold it there because we got to take a quick break and we come back let's then pick up from there moving forward okay absolutely all right wonderful thank you dr Mana. so everybody please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we do this every thursday 12 noon to 1 p.m eastern right here on talkradio.nyc and all over facebook live and william thank you loyal listener i do see you on the facebook live and just as always if you people if anyone has questions or comments just post it to the comment section of the video on the facebook live and we'll get to it during the show today um, everyone, please stay tuned. We'll be back with Dr. Mana after this. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, and politics, all around what makes a great leader. 
the personal experiences of what's worked and maybe more importantly what hasn't worked. So that's seven o'clock every Thursday evening. The mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're speaking this hour with Dr. Anthony Manna, uh, 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 children's book expert, author of the book, Lucas in the Game of Chance, um, and, and uh, uh, educator of, of over 50 years. Wow, I can't imagine doing anything for 50 years. That's amazing, Dr. Manna. So anyway, but, but in, at the end of the last segment, you were telling us kind of... Uh, how you were your father was a journalist a sports journalist so I I guess kind of writing was a little bit in your DNA and how when you went to to seminary and then to the monastery and became a monk and and then got introduced to to writing yourself uh, I'm, I'm curious like your initial, uh, you know, classes, sort of your initial foray into creative writing and writing, did it feel natural because you were around it so much with your dad? Or or was it like something new and different? And and because of how you approached it, it it was something that really lit you up? Well, um, I, I think the best way for me to answer that, of course, is the fact that, you know, I became an academic. I mean, I, I left, you know, after, after leaving the monastery and not being ordained because of my mind changed and I wanted to go in a different direction, but uh. I took, I took what they, they taught me. Uh, and of course it, it sustained me for many, many years, you know, as I, as I live out my life. But, um, when I, be, when I started moving in the direction of becoming an academic, when I, I, I you know, I, I started teaching the first year that there was Head Start. Now we're going back a while. And I was a teacher's aide in Orange, New Jersey. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And and I I I liked it. I was it was like a it was it was an awakening to what teaching could be because there was the teacher who was responsible there was just a a beautiful human being, very caring, very giving. And I thought, aha, so it's not only about giving information to people, it's about nurturing them. Mm. And so I started moving in that direction. I I was finishing up my degree at uh, Seton Hall University in South Orange, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to, I went on to get a master's degree. And then I went on, after that, I went on, I, I was teaching for a while in New Jersey in a middle school a high school, uh, et cetera. And then it wound up uh, in a PhD program. And because mm-hmm. I thought maybe this is what I want to do. In the meantime, mm-hmm. I had stopped off in theater and I was working on an MFA, a master of fine arts in acting. And I wanted so much to do that uh, because I've always, um, some people will say I'm a histrionic, 
but I, I think it's just a matter of, it, it seemed like another avenue for me to reach out to people. And I was training and I, I really, really admired it and loved it so much, uh, auditioning um, all around the place, you know, and then realizing that at this time now I had my son. And as he was growing, it was, you know, it was more demanding financially. And I realized that as an actor, I would be working for three months and then starving for two years, you know. So <laughs> I decided to go, you know, to, to the academic world. And so I'm answering your question by saying that a lot of my writing at that point was be, they were training us to be academics, which meant I was a researcher. Uh... And so I had to write, you know, I had one boss uh, when I was at Kent um, State University, where I did about 30 years of teaching, uh, he said to me, whatever you do, whatever workshop you do, whatever class you teach, whatever conversation you have, turn it into an article. And I thought, oh, no, uh, that sounds so laborious. <laughs> and it was, you know, you had to publish in order not to perish, as they mm, said. And so yeah. I, kept, I kept writing uh, academic articles in order to keep my job. But what happened was Kent State University did a, a, a magnificent thing for me. There was a program called the Greek Exchange Program. And that meant that I could go to Greece to a university there and bring my wares and bring literacy, My because I was teaching courses in literacy with a lot of concentration on children's and teen literature and adult literature and theater and that type of thing. And uh, so I brought language with me, uh, the English language with me to teach courses at Aristotle University of Thessaloniki, Greece. Oh, wow. And uh, I know it was wonderful. It was a city that was uh, established in 313 BC. So you can imagine, I know, I know it was mind blowing, but I, so I went there and what happened was I decided that if I, if I was going to learn anything, if I were going to learn anything about Greek culture, I should go to school. Mm. And so I wound up and uh, there was a, an experimental elementary school on the campus of the university. And I was allowed to go into this first grade classroom with my, mm. you know, I, I needed an interpreter. Most of the time I was studying the Greek language, but it was demanding. But uh, the two teachers that in the classroom spoke many different languages because the Greeks do that. Mm -hmm. And um, so they helped me out. And uh, what happened was, to make a long story short, I was there a lot. I mean, I was there about three or four times a week uh, with these kids, listening to the way they were being taught, because I wanted to bring that back with me and maybe write an article about what the Greeks are doing in terms of literacy development. And mm -hmm. in that same room was um, a, a university professor from there who's, who did her training at McGill University in Montreal, Canada, who spoke English fluently. Mm -hmm. And she and I said, wait a minute, I, these stories these kids are reading, it doesn't sound like Greek mythology to me because I could hear the, the, the term. It sounded more like fairy tale or folk tale with ogresses and monsters and um, a rivalry, sibling rivalry and uh, journeys and struggle. You know, and I thought, so she said, these are our folk tales and our fairy tales. And, and I knew that in teaching courses at, uh, in the university in, in, uh, in, in the United States that we really didn't have very many of these stories. We had a lot of Greek mythology, of course, as we have right. many other mythologies. So right. Sula Mitakidu, who was the co-author, decided that we should take on 
the Greek folklore project, and that's that's where it all began. So uh -huh. we did several we did several uh, translations, reshaping, because what we usually found were stories from the oral storytellers, and when the or oral storyteller told, it was usually very rough. And so, you know, we had to reshape it. We had to, re and also the other thing that we did, which I liked so much was um, we, I feel like, I feel like we were sometimes dis disrupting the status quo because there were in the stories, there was a lot of sexism and sometimes mm. racism uh, uh, and sometimes relationships that just seemed very tainted and really not needed we didn't need it anymore you know and so right. we would work on that uh, it was just a fantastic amazing experience for me to move from the academic writing into story writing gotcha and gotcha. so that, that that so this book lucas in the game of chance this i did on my own i took uh i took a, a basic story mm -hmm. so so i'm just curious because it sounds like a lot of even your early career, you pretty quickly focused on children, on, 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 on elementary school, middle school, even high school. What was it about working with kids and educating kids and telling story to kids that really pulled you into that world? First of all, they are so much fun to work with. You know, I mean, there's that there's that entertainment value, but <laughs> and also because when you when you work with them and when you write for them with them, <laughs> that you get a chance to introduce them to ideas and concepts that they may not have really thought about very much, you know. Mm. And so it's a it's a tremendous responsibility and a tremendous yeah. privilege. You know, yeah. and the privilege and the responsibility keep drawing me back. You know, even now, after these 50 years of doing this, I, you know, I go like, for example, with Lucas in the Game of Chance, when I was working on the manuscript, I would do a PowerPoint with middle school kids and say, what do you think of the scene? What should I do with it? And see, mm -hmm. they want to collaborate. They want they want to come into the into my adult world as a writer. And I love that because they give me some great suggestions and also because I feel like I'm collaborating with them um, and we're both coming alive mm, mm, to the richness, beautiful. you know, because every, every story, every story, every, every story, every poem, every nonfiction book, there are windows in their mirrors. They're sliding glass doors, you know, and mm. it opens the world. It opens the world. Yeah. And yeah. as a writer, as a writer, when I'm working, when I was working on Lucas and the Game of Chance, that's all that was happening. I had no idea where it was going to go until it mm. came to me, you know, mm. and I don't mean to sound, you know, superficially spiritual. I mean, mm. because it, you have to sometimes because you are writing in solitude, which I love going back to the monastery days of meditation, mm. you know, that you're solitary and you are working, you are working inside your head. You are, you are seeking, you are seeking help and vocation, you know, and it's a, a tremendous place to be, you know, mm. and, um, and so things come to you. You know, and that story started off as a very economical folktale called The Snake Tree. And what I did was I added characters, I added scenes, I added conflict. And, you know, it, it all it all started working out.
you know. All right. Wonderful. Let, let, let's leave it there because um, I see I have a question on the Facebook Live from Sanaya, my other lo- another loyal listener. Um, I'll, I'll ask that when we get back. And I want to start to dive into a little bit more of sort of the importance of folk tales and storytelling for children and, and how that affects them as they're growing up and, and perhaps maybe we'll get a personal story from you about maybe a story that affected you as a child. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Dr. Mana. Thank you so much. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the conscious consultant hour, awakening humanity. We're speaking this hour with Dr. Anthony Mana, author of the new children's book, Lucas and the game of chance. And we will be right back after this. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m. So tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So Now You Know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. Thank you all for joining me today. I see on the Facebook Live, my dear friend, Frank. Oh, it's been a while, Frank. Great to see you. Glad you're listening and tuning in today. Um, I'll get to Sanaya. I'll get to your two questions in a second. But Dr. Mann, I just want to ask you first about um, sort of why uh, folktales and sort of these, these stories that you know, as adults, we can sometimes be a little jaded about, we can be a little like, oh, they're just kids stories. But but 
but why are they so important for the development of children? Why are they, they, they actually, I mean, I don't know, but I'm sure in your opinion, they probably do have a lot of depth and have a lot of importance in, in developing when we're young. Well, you know, I think that uh, whether you're an adult reading uh, Kurt Vonnegut or whether you're a child reading Marie Sendak, you know, story is the uncovering of lives, you know, mm-hmm. so it's it's doesn't matter what age you're at, you know, and layers, deep layers of living, you know, and children see this. I mean, you're you, you, you're seeing children can see living well and in harmony and what that can bring us to and they can also see in stories living badly mm. and in distrust and hatred and deception and so what what story does is to open the world you know and so i mean children uh if you when i read to children when i read to those middle school kids when i read passages to high school kids it's right away we we're asking so many questions about how do these people get on with their lives and what what about their relationships and what do they value what do they believe why do they do it so badly sometimes mm. and also who saves them you know mm-hmm. and they could do they could see that in a very religious spiritual way and they could see it in a very secular way where for example my character lucas made a terrible mistake at a a game of chance, a card game, and he lost everything. Mm. But he goes and he remembers the Greek legend about going to destiny as a character in the heavens somewhere, Mm. you know, and he goes on this spiritual journey and there's a lot of struggle in the forest, in the enchanted Mm. forest, but he moves on, you know, and so the question becomes when he finds destiny and he pleads with her to restore his life and her son, the sun and her daughter, the moon, they'll help him. Won't they? Mm-hmm. And that's the big question. And of course, mm. you know, whenever I would go, I would start talking about my manuscript. I would always leave that question open because that's the big question about life. How right. are, are we going to, are we resilient enough to survive all this? And we're in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) You know, what, you know, what do we need to do? How can we manage ourselves? You know, and I think that that is so intriguing for me to work with Mm. young children all the way up and through teenhood, you know, and then of course I was at a university and I had very young, young adults, you know, I was standing in front of them for days every year, you know, working with them, you know, and we would, we would do things like take a poetry break, read a Mm -hmm. poem out loud. What the heck does that mean? Or see, the other thing that I love doing is improvisational theater with a structure. And Mm -hmm. so I would bring that into my classes because then we could do things like uh, I created a drama around a segregation and integration. And we started talking about those values. We started talking about cultural values. I started bringing in um, the the questions of, you know, um, who's right and who's wrong in this particular argument, you know, that type of thing. So, I mean, the whole idea is opening the world to young people. Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful. and, And their place in it. 
You know? yeah. And that's, yeah, yeah. And that's what story can do because story, yeah. you know, story is going to reflect and, and then it's going to reflect the world around them. But the other thing is, see, one of the things uh, that you mentioned in the opening was my, my dedication to multiculturalism. I started, mm-hmm. I started a conference at Kent State University that is in about its 36th year or something now, but and oh, it, was, wow. it was a multicultural literature conference. And the reason why is because I had so many students of mine through the years who say, I don't see me in these books. Uh, yeah. Where am I? You know, where am I? And then I started having Hispanic students come in and say, I don't understand. We we don't yeah. see ourselves. And so, you know, there there's the mirror, you know. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and now it's getting better. It's getting better. And I mean, statistically, I don't have it that handy. But I mean, there are ways of finding this out because we've got, you know, organizations that, that track how many books a year are being published. Mm. And one of them is that we... We, there's an organization we need diverse books.com we need oh, wonderful they are, they are nurturing new writers men they have mentees and mentors that compete every year to help each other out you know and uh, out of that has come a, a resurgence of interest tremendous interest in uh multiculturalism we need diverse books i would suggest people to go there and look because it's so interesting um to, need... to what's happening there but so there there it is you know it's like the it's like the world it's like a road that opens up when we when we start walking on that road the road of literature the road of literacy language etc we're going to find ourselves hmm. somewhere along that road you know and, and, and that's you know, we, i just want to make sure i get the link right it's we need diverse books.com or dot org uh, you know, I don't know whether it's com or org, um, okay. but I'm, I thought it was, it might be org because it is an organization rather than a company. Uh, okay. We All right. We'll, we'll, we'll find it out. I want to post it to the, to the live. Um, uh, I, I, I just want to get to Sanaya's questions. Cause she says she wrote as a child, I read, I read and wrote poetry. I re- read and wrote poetry. I still write today. Um, uh, with a father as a journalist, did you feel as a child that you were subconsciously interested in writing, watching him? And then her second question is, was oral storytelling ever an influence in your bringing folklore alive in books today? The uh, the first question about my father, I think, was um, I was very proud of him. He, um, I was very proud of him because I saw him struggling with ideas you know and and oh and he had a very conversational style uh of of writing and it was it was it was nice to see that i i didn't know at the time that it was planting seeds in me of wanting to be a writer but Mm -hmm. i i go back to it all the time i have uh my siblings i'm the youngest can you believe it I have have siblings in New Jersey, you know, and I say to them all the time, it took me a while because my father was sometimes very absent, Hmm. but it took me a while in in growing up to realize the influence of of him on me, you know, for Hmm. the the writer in me, you know, and so that's that's my first question. Now, the second question about the oral storytelling. I wish I had 
when I was growing up, my mother came from Alpropalda in Italy uh, at the age of 18. And mm-hmm. she had stories, you know, I did not know that she grew up on a farm until her passing. Oh, because wow. I went to Italy, I had a photograph of someone that said the region of Alpropalda on the back of it. I went there looking for this man. I said, who is this person? Nobody ever told he was on the mantle when I was growing up mm. and he was some kind of a relative. All right. So we, I went to this, this village to discover right there. I walked mm. around and he, they went, eh, eh, morte, morte. this, the person you're showing us is dead, of course, but let us mm. bring you to the farm. I thought, what farm? This is mm. the farm my mother grew up on uh. right there in the Valley of the Virgins. It was called. And I, I, oh, you know, so <laughs> unbelievable you know and i met these people who had taken over you know and they yes and they remembered the history of my mother and her brother and the family you know and uh and that was and that's what i wish i had asked my I, you know I, I wish i had asked my mother the stories of her upbringing because mm-hmm. there would have been an oral tradition there you know mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. father my father was an entertainer and a storyteller. Uh, the story that I was working on recently is, it starts off with my father juggling oranges in the kitchen. Uh-huh. And we're all standing around like, oh, this is so weird, you know. But at but um, that's what he he loved to tell stories. He loved to entertain, and he was known throughout Manhattan when he went into these places where they were training to be boxers. Mm-hmm. to be a storyteller you know and he had all of these people that he met in the ring outside the ring in the in these you know in these places where they train boxers so so no i didn't really have the oral tradition i found it more much later when i was in greece and the uh-huh. greeks loved to tell stories and uh-huh. uh that's that was that's where a lot of it came from wonderful Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Mana. Wonderful. Um, we're going to go out to our, believe it or not, last break. The show is flying so sure. fast. Um, when we come back, I do want to ask you about, you know, sort of maybe the change that you've seen working with, with kids for so long. Like, is there a difference in their consciousness in a way of their openness to sort of some of the storytelling? And, and also just about sort of the importance for children's books, not just for children's, but for adults as well. Okay. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking this hour with Dr. Mana, uh, author of the new book, uh, Lucas and the Game of Chance. It's out there and available. And we will be right back in just a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. 
While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. I am really happy uh, that you're all joining me today. I was just checking on the back end to see where we have listeners from today. And we've got people from all, literally all over the world. I saw Brazil, uh, Yemen, Key, uh, uh, Ukraine, Russia, Poland, as well as all across the United States. So thank you all for tuning in today, as well as, as some dear friends I haven't seen for a while. Uh, uh, hi, Sham. Uh, on Facebook Live, Frank, William, Sanaya, thank you all for tuning in and joining us today. I truly appreciate it. Talking really about children's stories and the importance of children's stories today on our life today. And so, Dr. Mana, one thing I'm always curious about when I have guests come on my show like yourself, who've been doing what you're doing for such a long time, I'm curious, what kinds of changes have you noticed in children when it comes to I guess their openness to to fairy tales, folk tales, and storytelling. Uh, are children different today than they were 30, 40 years ago? Are they basically the same? Or, or, or what do you see has evolved or changed around children's storytelling? I... I see very little difference, basically, because uh, what they... What, what, I, what I do uh, is um, carry on the oral tradition. You know, and so they they they're they're always attracted to story and storytelling. If if there's anything that is phenomenally different is the electronics and their devices. Mm. You know, yeah. And I mean, I mean, uh, all personally struggling with that as a grandfather. You know, <laughs> with my with my two my my two grandkids. Um, you know, watching them be distracted by that in a way. Although at the same time. You know, the yin and the yang of it is that they also learn a tremendous amount on the Internet, you know, but it is uh, it does take them away from some other functions, <laughs> you know. Right. But as far as story goes, honest to gosh, I mean, I am now I I was in education for 50 years of my life, you know, and I mm. mean, I was all over the place, inner city, outer city, <laughs> suburbia, you know, and. It, it it always remains the same. The, the story, I mean, I can walk into a room not ever having met these high school kids, for example, and just start opening up uh, what I'm working on 
and they're and they really want to know you know that mm. i've got a story i'm crafting a story this is what i'm going through this is the creative process it's very challenging it's tiring especially for an old mm. guy like me but <laughs> at the same time i keep at it you know and no. i think that you know i just the other day i picked up a quote about resilience it said I have it right here. It says, resilience means putting one foot in front of the other and meeting your developmental milestones, you know? And I think mm. that, I think that, that I that's, that's the way it always is, you know, is that uh, like my character, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to carry on. We're going to look for a way to rectify what we've done to, to restore our lives and and when when I get into a story with whatever, whether it was 30 years ago or today, all of those messages, all of those themes are there for the taking and mm. they take them, you know, and I'm yeah. so I'm Absolutely. happy to report that I I don't see. I mean, I know I picked up another statistic the other day that really disturbed me from um, reading is fundamental. Uh, uh -huh. is an organization reading is fundamental.org uh, uh and it says 25 million children in the u.s cannot read proficiently 63 percent wow. of fourth grade students are reading below grade level by high school graduation only 37 of students read proficiently you know what i think i think if we could be reading to those kids aloud introducing them to their yeah. own, not, we're not talking about that at all today. Maybe sometime I can come back because the idea is that yeah. the other side of this is getting them to write. Mm. Because when they start, you know, when they start writing now at Kent State University, I was working with a program that I adored, which is called um, the, the writing, the National Writing Project. It's from Berkeley, California. And we brought in teachers every summer who said, I don't write. I never write, I write shopping lists. And by the time they left us, they were writing poetry and short stories. And that's the mm -hmm. same thing because we said to them, if you want kids to open up as writers, you yourself have to be a writer. Right, and so, right. and so, you know, that, so that, so then kids get the opportunity to explore the world around them. What would they be saying now in their diaries and their journals about the, the pandemic? and about having right. to, to, to be schooled virtually, et cetera. What would they be saying? What are their disappointments? I mean, you know, we could go on and on because I mean, that's yeah. where stories begin. Yeah, a, a lot of stories there, a lot of, um, a lot of journeys there, as you mentioned before, like so much of the story is really in the journey. And, and I have to tell you now, as I mentioned before, I don't have kids. I have nieces and nephews, but they live in other places. So I don't see them a lot, but Every now and then, you know, my wife and I, we will watch, uh, let's say, a, a, a children's movie that's based on a children's book. And, and some of them I find, even as an adult, I can really enjoy them. And there was one in particular that I thought was such a moving story called A Monster Calls. And it's a story of a young boy kind of dealing with his mother who has cancer. I don't know if you're familiar with the story or not. Um, and this monster, which was like a giant tree um, that would come to him every night and tell him stories. And, and, and even just the ending of it, of, of the child having to, to come to the, the, the dealing with his own inner struggle and his own inner emotions around the, the, the trauma and, and losing his mom and everything. I, I mean, for me, it was such a, a powerful story. 
and and really surprised me like how much depth there was to it considering it was quote unquote a children's story so i'm curious over the years that you've been doing all this research and work and and, and working with fairy tales and stories from different cultures was there a story that kind of came to you that really surprised you or affected you as an adult that was a children's story that's so interesting there so many of them but uh, there's one uh, many people will remember where the wild things are by marie sendak mm. which was also made into an award-winning film yeah he wrote a story that a lot of people don't know very much about. It's very, it's very deep. It's very psychological. It's called Outside Over There. Hmm. And it, it, it blew me away. Because, and I had to keep going back to it. It's like, it, it was like a, a, a mixture of psychology, a mixture of poetry, uh, 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 just an abbreviation, you know, at the, uh, abbreviation of, of, a, of life lived to be satisfied to to be to struggle through etc and it's a picture book you know uh. and it's a picture book but i mean you know pamela travers of uh, mary poppins ml travers mm-hmm. she said um i hope i have that right she said there is no such thing as a children's book there are simply books of many kinds uh. and so i think that the there there are there there there's no distinction in my mind. You know what I mean? There can be some very powerful themes. Now, sometimes, yes, the language is going to be in such a, a way that a toddler is going to be able to relate to the animal characters, you know, from a to- toddler's right. perspective. But mm-hmm. it's always the crafting of it in honesty and the crafting of it in, in te- with integrity mm. that, you know, that will, will, will present itself uh, in such a way that an adult will walk away from that mesmerized, liking mm. it, mm. enjoying it, entertained by it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very wonderfully said. I'm, I'm going to have to check this book out now, Outside Over There. I'm outside curious. There. Um, so we're almost at the end of the show, but I, I definitely want to give you a chance to let people know if they would like to get in touch with you, find your books, learn more about you. Do you have a website? Do you have some place where people can learn more about you? Oh, yeah. It's www.anthonymanna. That's M-A-N-N-A, anthonymannabooks.com. Wonderful. And if people want to get in touch with me, also um, my email address is uh, anthonymannabooks.com. Dot com anthony at anthony com. it's easy to remember no i yeah. and i i know that the the one person who asked me two questions uh what was her name again sanaya tell i want to tell her keep writing poetry and send me mm. some i would love to see some of your poetry i uh, i read i read at least one poem a day because uh, it, it keeps my my old guy brain working very well <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Manis. And I is an old dear friend of mine. We, we've known each other for years and years and years and reconnected recently uh, over Facebook. So uh, I'm sure she'll be very happy to do that. I know, Sanaya. Wonderful. So, okay. so one, once again, thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Manna, author of the new children's book, Lucas, spelled L-O-U-K-A-S in the game of chance. A, a beautiful illustration 
uh, uh, children's book. Highly recommend it. Dr. Mena, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. It's been a fantastic experience and I wave to all the listeners all over the world. Take good mm-hmm. care. Wonderful. Take care. Now, thank you all for tuning in. Stay tuned. Coming up next, it's Ken Foster and his show, Voices of Courage, followed later today at 5 p.m. with Antonia Thompson and her show, So Now You Know. And of course, this evening, Graham Dobbin and his show, The Mind Behind Leadership. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military, and politics, all around what makes a great leader the personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauber, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 